Amen. I'm wondering if they'll let me come to the women's meeting. It's pretty inspired right then. It's good to see everybody this morning. Um, I'm going to be in Luke chapter 9 and chapter 10 to begin. Got one important uh, matter of business. Somebody in a white, white Toyota left their keys in the car with the door open, and Bill shut that back for you, and your keys are up here. Amen. Um, it's an important matter of business. Just in case you needed to leave early because you didn't like the sermon, if you need to, you just have to walk across the front. Just walk across the front before you go here and pick up your keys. <laughs> so what happens when you give your daughter the keys? Send her to the women's meeting. We'll get it lined out. <laughs> oh, that's good. I like to start a sermon like that. All right, so Luke 9, Luke 10, got a lot, a lot of stuff coming up as, uh, as Jeremy mentioned. Uh, next few weeks, look out, We're, we won't be having uh, prayer nights with child care, but a uh, few nights during the next few weeks, we're going to open the church for prayer, just so you can come as, you, as you'd like, so just keep an eye out for those types of things, but I want to pick up last week where, uh, where Donald left off. Uh, speaking directly about missions, and I want to uh, speak to you about a missional mindset. And the issue, I think, sometimes is when you talk about missions, honestly, just like last week, what we shared with you is we, we're, we're very connected with missions in Uganda, South Sudan, and last week we sponsored another church planter uh, in South Sudan, and we were able to, we're, we're in the process of getting him a motorcycle so that he can travel and not have to travel on foot you know, for 10 hours a day to get to the unreached people group that he's going to. But then we also shared with you how we like to connect with local missions here. Listen, we're, we're just one church of many churches in a community. And when you see a church or a group of people that's doing something well, it's important that we support those because we're in this thing together. And, uh, and a lot of times when somebody else is doing something I'm not, I'm excited because that sometimes just goes ahead and covers me from having to do it. Amen. And we work together as a body. But the thing about it is, is when we think about missions, a lot of times we think about missions as being going to Africa or getting a missions trip going. But missions is a mindset. Missions is something that begins on Monday. Mission is a part of your daily life, and Jesus has called us all to a daily mission. And oftentimes, in the church, we think of being a Christian as coming to church, being fed, and then going through a week trying to hang on, trying to be a good person, and then coming back next Sunday, maybe being fed again so we can sort of get through the next week and be a good person. But listen, God has called each and every one of us into His mission, and God has a mission for you, and He has a mission for myself, because our God is a missional God. And when God saw the world in its brokenness, he didn't sit back and say, well, I don't, I don't know what to do about this. He sent his only begotten son to live a perfect life, to demonstrate to us the kingdom of heaven and what everlasting eternal life looks like. And then he died on the cross to purchase that eternal life and to usher in the kingdom of heaven already, but not fully yet. Amen. And so God is a missional God. And when he gets a hold of our hearts by the spirit, he puts a missional spirit in us. And when we are filled with the spirit of God, there's, a, there's almost something even in my own life I'm noticing that sometimes when I get distracted like we all do I sense the Holy Spirit always calling me back and saying Clay you've got a mission to accomplish you've got something that I've given you you've got something that you've got to stay focused on you need to give me your whole heart because I want to fill you with my spirit to accomplish something in the world around you you guys ever seen the movies uh, Mission Impossible right I like them pretty good they're pretty Tom Cruise he's a good actor what are you gonna do I mean he's good and so, and so Mission Impossible, though, it starts out, you know, he's got a mission, and they say, your mission if you choose to accept it. And then the thing self-destructs in a moment of time. But see, uh, the Christian life is by no means, let me say it like this, it's the same thing that Donald said last week. If you're actually following Jesus, Christianity is not boring. Amen. If you're following Jesus, stuff happens, man. He leads you to people. The Spirit of God breaks out. He touches people's lives. People get healed. The, the gospel is preached. Lives are transformed. There's moments where your heart is pounding out of your chest. There's fear and tension, but there's joy at the same time. Following Jesus is never mundane or boring. But see, you have to decide, are you going to live a day-to-day -day mundane life or are you going to live a life on mission and on purpose that is following Jesus? I want to read from you, uh, from, from the book of Luke chapter 9 for you and then, and then go into Luke chapter 10. But here's what it says in Luke chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. 
He says, then he called his 12 disciples together and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And then in Luke chapter 10, it says, After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. And then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals. And greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. And if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house, whatever city you enter, and they receive you. Eat such things as are set before you. And heal the sick there, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, but rejo that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Let's, let's, let's pray over this really quick. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And God, I, I just sense your spirit that God is trying to tune our hearts to be on your mission. God, oftentimes we all get so self-focused, so self-centered. And God, the truth is you want to pour out your love to each one of us. And you want to remind us of that love. And you want to heal our broken hearts. God, you want to restore us. You want to bring salvation and sanctification. You want to transform who we are. But ultimately, God, that is to bring us in agreement and in alignment with your will. And that is to fulfill your mission in this earth. So this morning, I'm praying for your grace and your mercy to be poured out on us, God. Because we are broken people in need of your spirit and in need of your mercy and grace. But we need to be empowered by your spirit to know your mission and to fulfill it in our generation. So we pray that your word would have effect in that area this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So just like I said, listen, when you're on the mission of God, when you are following the Spirit of Jesus Christ, then the, the mission is filling your life, and you cannot live a mundane life. And I think if you're like me, sometimes when you fit, find that, man, I'm a little bit bored, I'm depressed, it seems like nothing is happening, it could be that you are disconnected from your purpose. It could be that you are disconnected from the mission of God, and because you are disconnected from the mission of God, now you find yourself in a mundane place. And here's the real challenge for us Christians. is It's not that we want to live a mundane life. It's just that we're afraid to step into all that God is calling us to. We want to take the easy route. We want to take the comfortable route. But the comfortable route leads to mundane. The comfortable route leads to complacency. And the comfortable route leads to a place of actual boredom. But but God says, if you'll take a step of faith and face your fears and move into the mission that I have for you, yeah, you may be there in much trembling and much fear just like the Apostle Paul. You may be shaking before people when God calls you to do something. You may question whether or not you can do it or whether or not you're capable or you have the ability. But God says, when you do that, you will find fulfillment and you'll find your purpose. If you connect your life to my mission, you're going to find meaning for your life. And so he's saying, look, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. He's saying, when you guys went out and you performed my mission, some scholars say that this is Jesus referring to when Satan literally fell from heaven. Others say that what he's saying is, when you was out there on mission, healing the sick, preaching the gospel, and seeing God, people's lives transformed and the Spirit of God was moving, I was seeing Satan's kingdom being trampled. Because I've given you authority and I've deputized you to go out into this world. And he even says this, as I send you out, I'm sending you out two by two before my face. 
Now, the language there before my face is very specific. The, the word for face, especially to a Hebrew mind, is presence. And what he's saying is, is if you will take that step of faith to go in these dark areas where people need healing, where people need life, where people need the gospel, where people need somebody to share their faith, if you go into those areas, you will go before my presence. And what he's saying is, is you may not sense my presence right now, but the reason you're not sensing it is because you're not going into the place I've called you to go but if you go you'll go before my face and my presence will back you up and then I'll meet you there amen so he's saying sometimes the reason we don't sense God's presence is because we're not going before his face on the mission that he sent us into we want God to show up and give us the gigglies on Sunday but we don't want to be sent out on Monday to go before his presence so that he could run us down with the power of God He's saying, if you step out in faith, it's like the men. Somebody, somebody told me, I, I, was reading, I, I was reading something the other day, and it talks about how whenever they were going into the Red Sea, that God says, look, why are you crying out to me? I need you to go into the Red Sea. And the, the, the Jewish oral tradition has it that a guy named Nashon goes out on a horse before, and it says that the water was up to the horse's nostrils before it actually split. Point being is sometimes you got to get in over your head before God releases his power. You need to get into a place of faith where you're saying, I'm going out on God's mission, and God, I'm not waiting until you show up. I'm going out, and I'm pushing my faith to the limit so that you will show up because you've promised that if I go before your face, your presence is going to manifest and be revealed. He said, the laborers are few. The harvest is ripe, man. There's people ready to be saved and healed and set free and delivered and experienced an encounter with Jesus all over the globe. He says the harvest is ripe. The problem is the laborers are few. He didn't say that the church attenders were few. He said the laborers are few. All kinds of people will attend church. That's easy. It's easy to come to church on Sunday. What's difficult is to take a step on Monday to your coworker or the person that you go and, and just see out in public. That's a, very, that's a difficult thing. He says those people are few. The people that are going to step out in faith. So he says, I want you to pray that the Lord of the harvest will. He uses a very specific word. He uses this word, ekbalo. I know y'all love it when I do that. Like you just like, oh man, I love my pastor when he does that. It just feels so good to my soul. Uh, but ekbalo is the word that Jesus used for casting out demons. If he casts out a demon, he ekbalos the demon. In other words, he's saying with the same force that I cast a demon out is the same force I want you to be sent out into the world. That's strong force, y'all. He wants it done. And he's saying, pray that with the same force that I cast these demons out of people is the same force that the Father will shoot you out into the world on mission. Now, I want to give you five principles of a missional mindset. Number one is we gather to be sent. We gather to be sent. Amen. That's a good, good principle for a missional mindset. I, I shared this recently, but the Lord has been dealing with me uh, on it over and over again and show me different things but uh, uh, maybe you've seen this maybe you've not if you see this this is this is a little uh, a, a snippet of Israel and in Israel you have the Jordan River that runs north to south and you have the Sea of Galilee and at the bottom the Dead Sea now the Dead Sea if you're familiar with this is is total it's dead there's nothing in it that is alive because the salt uh, the, the salt in it is such at, at such a high level that no living thing can exist in the Dead Sea. And it's almost, you can go in it and you can lay in it and you will just float on it because it's just so buoyant in the Dead Sea. But the Sea of Galilee up north of it is just teeming with fish. Now, the reason it has so much life in the Sea of Galilee is because the Jordan River flows into it, but then it flows out of it. In the Dead Sea, it flows into it, but there is no outflow. In the same way, the life that Jesus Christ gives us and the power of the Spirit continues to grow and increase when the Spirit flows through us, but we become dead as a people when there is no outflow. We got nothing but inflow. Week after week after week, we get our small groups on, we're reading the Bible, we're praying, we're worshiping, but we have no mission on Monday and Tuesday. We have no outflow, and so we become dead inwardly and spiritually. We need a constant outflow of the Spirit in our lives. Now listen, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you. But as you grow in your relationship and maturity with the Lord Jesus Christ, there are moments when the Holy Spirit comes upon you because He desires to flow through you to others. It's not enough for the Holy Spirit to be in you just to save you. He wants to flow through you to save others now. 
And so it's important that we allow that outflow of the Spirit in our lives. We gather to be sent. John 20, 21, Jesus said to them again. This is after he's been resurrected from the dead. He meets with his disciples in an upper room or in a room. And he says, peace to you. As the Father has sent me on mission, I'm also now sending you on the same mission. That's not exactly the same, but do y'all realize we are the body of Christ? We are to enforce the victory that Jesus Christ won on the cross by proclaiming the gospel to every living creature and allowing His power and Spirit to flow through us as we do that. And when He said this, He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. That's interesting that He breathed on them. The word for breath is, is the same word that we get both in Hebrew and Greek for spirit. Pneuma and ruach. Breath and spirit, they're the same word, they're interchangeable. He breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. But you get this idea that, that Jesus wants to breathe into you. He wants to breathe into you the life of the Spirit. And you breathe the life of the Spirit in, but here's the point. Guess what? Everybody that breathes, I don't know if you realize this or not, right now as you are breathing, you both inhale, and what else do you do? You exhale. Because if you only inhale all the time, what's going to happen? You're going to pass out. You're going to hold your breath too long and you are going to pass out. And what I'm saying right now is there's a lot of people spiritually that are passing out on a regular basis because all they do is inhale and they never exhale. They never breathe out the life of God that has been breathed into them. And Jesus is saying, I want you to receive the Spirit from me. And if you drink from me, you can breathe in deeply. You can come on Sunday mornings and you can worship and breathe in deeply. And you can pray in your prayer closet and breathe in deeply. And you can put on good worship music and breathe in deeply. And you can meet with a small group and study the Bible and breathe in the Scripture. But at some point, you have got to breathe out that which I have breathed into you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You got to breathe it out because we're in here <laughs> just trying to hold on to the next week. You know what I'm saying? Breathe in another bit. And what you do, here's what people do. When you know, here's how you know when people ain't breathing out on the weekdays. You know what I'm saying? It's because they come in and they say it and they're like, Psh, I didn't even need this this morning. I've already heard that. I've heard that and preached. I mean, well, I don't get nothing out of him. Well, who's preaching this morning? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, but the point is, it ain't, it's not about that. You are on an inhale monitor. God's saying, no, you come, we gather to be sent. You come in here to receive so that you can push it out and exhale it onto the world around you during the week. And, so, and when you're exhaling hard, you come in, and you come in here, and you're ready to take a deep breath. And sometimes when you, look, it's, it's like when you've been underwater for so long, you're just trying to get to the surface. When you've breathed all of it out, you're last, and you've got nothing left, you come into the house of God, man, and it's just like no matter what happens, it's a breath of fresh air. Praise God for the house of the Lord and the people of God that we can gather with. We're like a human body. We inhale and we exhale. And it's what you give and pour in, out into the world that is the end goal. A lot of times we think the end goal of what we do as Christians is, what can my church give me? What can, what can the pastor give me? What, what can the small groups give me? How can I be blessed? How, how, what have you done for me lately? You know what I'm saying? And look, 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 we want everybody to be wholehearted. We want everybody to be healed. We want to minister to you if you're broken. We want to help you in any way that we can. That's why the church exists. But the end goal is for you to be whole so that ultimately then you can minister to other people and go outside of these doors and be equipped for the ministry and mission that God has called you to. In Acts chapter 1, uh, Jesus told the, his disciples, he says, boys, don't go out just yet. Don't breathe out into the world just yet. He said, tarry in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. And when they waited 10 days, breathing in in worship and in prayer and in communion with one another, on that 10th day when the day of Pentecost had fully come, God breathed out his spirit and they were all filled and it pushed them out of the doors to preach the gospel and 3,000 people were saved on that day because they breathed out the mission that God had filled them with and over and over again you see this in the book of Acts chapter 13 if you go on it says they gathered together and they ministered to the Lord they gathered and they ministered to the Lord they're worshiping they're praying they're fasting they're seeking the Lord and as they're ministering to the Lord and fasting it says the Holy Spirit speaks and says to them separate to me Paul and Barnabas for the mission to which I have sent them and then the Spirit sends them out we gather to be sent amen, amen. missional mindset we gather to be sent there's a reason behind why we gather. There's a reason behind why we have small groups. There's a reason why but we have church. And it's not just simply for us to be fed. It's for us to inhale but then exhale during the week. And so number two, 
Mission and the miraculous go together. I don't know if you realize this or not about this particular church, but we believe God does miracles. And I don't, I, I'm not, I don't have time like anymore to just sort of uh, play around with that. I, I just, I'm, just, I'm locking into it. I've seen him do too many. I've seen the Lord set people free from, from mental disorders that medicine can't fix. I've seen demons get, get cast out of people and then be delivered from lifelong ailments. I've seen the Lord heal people and raise them up. Now, I'm not talking about crazy stuff, and I'm not talking about the church getting crazy. I'm talking about Jesus-type stuff. And so I want to make sure that you understand that when we go on a mission with God, we should expect Him to move in power. We're, 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 not, we're not just a church that has external formalities. We are a people of God that believe that we can share the gospel with people and we can pray for people and God can touch them in miraculous ways. Now, I will say that the greatest miracle that exists, I believe, beyond a shadow of a doubt, is simply when somebody repents and turns to Jesus in faith and they are set free from the power of bondage of sin and they can now live a life for Jesus. Because even if they get sick and pass on and die, guess what? They're going to be raised up on the final day. So the greatest miracle is when you're filled with the Spirit of God to proclaim the gospel boldly to lost people and they believe in Jesus and they are saved. And even if they keep their sickness and they die, Praise God because the greatest miracle that could ever happen has happened to them. Amen. But that does not negate the fact that we live in a world where young people are growing up and they're tempted to go into new age. They're tempted to go into witchcraft. And do you know that there are demonic powers out there that are available to your children? They experience things, y'all. You cannot imagine the young people that I have counseled that have dabbled in witchcraft and have become demonized and need deliverance from the Holy Spirit to get out of that stuff. And now we, we pump that on our kids, but then we don't want them to know a supernatural God. No, God's not supernatural anymore. He doesn't do that stuff. No, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He wants to set your kids free. He wants to set your children free. He wants to set your family free. I'm not talking about being weird and, and hokey and spooky. I'm talking about the power of the Holy Spirit delivering people and giving them life. Amen. Mission and the miraculous go together. Jesus deputized them and he gave them authority over unclean spirits and over the demonic. The problem is, is that we function often. We don't like to admit it because we're very religious people, but we function often and live in unbelief. The reason I know that is because we don't act on anything. You can't say you believe God heals if you don't pray for the sick. You function in unbelief. You're in unbelief. If you believed God did something, if you believed the gospel saved people, you would share it with somebody. Do you believe in the power of the gospel? If you believed in it, you would expect it to save somebody when you shared it with them. You would, you would be willing to share it with them because you're saying, I want to see that power released. I want to see the power of the gospel at work when I speak it, when I share my testimony with somebody. But see, the ordinary expectation of the apostles when you looked at them and of the disciples of the New, New Testament, they had a certain expectation even in the way that they prayed. You see them praying to the Father, but when they dealt with demons, they, 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 they dealt directly with them. Paul looked at a woman one time that was going around saying, you know, somebody was talking this week, somebody had called us a cult. That was funny. Huh? <laughs> Amen. You know, here's the thing. Anytime you're doing something for the Lord, people are going to say negative things. Just bless those people. Just bless their heart. They need the Lord Jesus, and you should love them regardless of what they say. I, I don't know where I was going with that, but there was, a, there was a woman that was following Paul doing something very very similar because so, somebody else who was in, into witchcraft I'd heard had said something very positive about our church. They're, they said, there's something there. You know, and I'm like, oh, gosh, <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, but, you know, Paul had a, a woman with a spirit of divination following him, and you know what she said? She said, these be the men of the Most High God who come to show you the way of salvation. Was what she said accurate? 100%. But at some point, he recognized, dude, this spirit ain't right. And he turned to that woman and he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And the spirit left her immediately. He functioned in that authority. When Paul saw a man that was crippled and lame, he discerned and perceived that he had faith inside of him to be healed. And as soon as he discerned that while he was preaching, he didn't stop and pray. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up on your feet. There was an expectation in the way that he prayed. There was an, he realized that he was deputized with a certain authority and that he could make a command and a declaration to sickness and disease and demons and they would obey him. 
In that same way, we need to pray that we come into a measure of faith that when we go out on when I go out on mission and I see somebody being, uh, man, I'm depressed, I, I'm suicidal, I'm going to speak to that spirit of suicide. And I'm going to command it to leave in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, what if it don't happen? What if it does? You ever thought about that? You ever thought about what if it does? Then what happens? That person is set free. They have an encounter with Jesus. And, oh, well, we'll send them over here to the hospital. Won't you pray for them? Won't you step out on mission and see if God won't use you in some kind of a miraculous way? We, we allow the world to do what Jesus has called us to do, and the world is failing miserably at it. Amen. He says, don't take anything with you. Why? I think it's because he wanted you to see the miraculous provision of God. I can't tell you how many times God has called me to do something. I'm like, man, how am I going to get the money to do that? Anybody ever been in that position? And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's, let me tell you something. God's got the money, y'all. You know what I'm saying? Quit worrying about the money. If you get on God's mission, you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, he will show you his miraculous provision. You say, well, I don't have the provision to do that. Maybe God's calling you to go back to school to become this or that. I don't have the provision. God will provide that which he calls you to do, and he will make the provision. He says, don't take with you money and all that stuff. I'll provide for you on the way. If you'll step into my mission, I will fund, your, I will fund it. Amen. And you'll see the miraculous. Number three, let me give you this one. Mission and mercy go together. Mission and mercy go together. We are ambassadors of Christ. And just as Donald said last week, the love of Christ compels us. And we are, when we are in a loving relationship with the Lord and we spend, we're spending time with God, the Holy Spirit gets into our life, it's hard for us to not see a broken world and be moved with compassion toward them. It's hard for us to not be moved with compassion toward them. And it's the love of God that compels us, and it's the mercy of God. We see a broken world. Here's, here's the uh, temptation we have as Christians. is we see the evil in the world, we see the darkness in the world, and rather than sensing a great deal of mercy and love and compassion for a broken world and people who are lost in bondage and in sin, we get angry at them for being evil. And here's the thing, Ephesians, Paul said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual rulers and wickedness of this dark age, right? He says, you're not wrestling with flesh and blood. Don't get angry at the person. Understand that there's a demonic force leading people astray and deceiving them. You are to love the people, and that is how you enter into spiritual warfare at its greatest dimension is by loving people who are almost unlovable. Loving people who you disagree with. Having mercy and compassion on them. Understanding that according to us, if we really believe in the gospel and they don't and they're living like the devil, guess what? We believe that they're blinded by the devil and the only thing that may penetrate that blindness that is guarding their, their, their hearts and their minds is the love of Christ through the gospel that is shared through you. So we love them rather than fighting and arguing with them and talking about how bad of a people they are. We start to share the love of God with them and we choose to do that. Our church, and I don't know that it always is, but our church, we pray that it becomes a love factory. You know what I'm talking about? Like a real one. Like one that just sees people with compassion and a heart of mercy that says, man, I, at all costs, I want them to know the love of Jesus for them. Jesus had great compassion and he had great mercy when he saw 5,000 following him. He saw them as sheep having no shepherd, it says, and he had mercy on them. And Jesus always wanted to meet the practical needs of the people. He would feed them, but then he would point them to the greater measure. He would say, you know what, I, you know, I fed you with bread and I multiplied the loaves and the fishes. He said, but I am the bread of life. I know you were thirsty, and I gave, you know, we gave you some water, but here at the end of the day, you've got to understand, I am the fountain of living water. And so he gives them the practical needs, but he always uses the practical needs to point them to their greatest need of their soul, which is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, who only can bring salvation. So the church sometimes needs to ask, what is the greatest need, and to show mercy there. Now, I'm going to be honest with you as a pastor. I hear a lot of things during the week and every week and every year. There, how many of y'all realize there's a lot of problems out there in our world? I don't know if you recognize it or not. There's a lot of issues. You got people who are dealing with drug addiction. You got people in generational poverty. You got a lot of homeless people out there in our world, right here in our community. And you see all those things, 
And, you, and I think to myself, God, how can I even make a dent in this? And then you got people who criticize and say, well, the church should be doing this and the church should be doing that. And, and here's the thing, all of us should be involved in something, but it's not the critic who counts. It's the one who day by day chooses to go after that one that they can help. And if every single one of us were to come together and say, I've got a mission, it may be small, it may just be one person, it may just be one homeless person, it may just be one person that's struggling with addiction, but if I can help that one and my brother or sister beside me goes after their one, well, guess what? Just this week, if we have one out there just this week, we can reach at least 250 people this week where we just bless one person this week, we've reached 250 in one week and it begins to expand and we jump on board when other churches are doing things missionally and we see other ministries and other people that are moving and, and here's the thing if you see if you see a need and you think to myself man I can't believe nobody's ministering to this need guess what God could be calling you amen if you say man I can't believe there's just nothing going on right here it could be that God is calling you because guess what? You are a member of the body of Christ. And if you see that need, don't get aggravated, don't get frustrated. Go to God, receive from His Spirit, and blaze a trail where others will follow you into that area to meet that need. You got the power. You don't have to wait on the church to do it. You don't have to wait on the organization to do it. You're on mission on a daily basis. You're on mission on a daily basis. See, what if we all committed to the one thing that God has called us to? Because mission fields, yeah, they're in Africa, but they're right here today as well. They're right here tomorrow when you go to work and you're aggravated with your co-workers. Amen. Somebody, somebody said, you got me today, Clay. Hallelujah. <laughs> we go through life, though, with a grid of approval or disapproval, and we position ourselves as judges over everybody we come into contact with. Yeah. People that come to church even... You know, usually, especially if they're checking it out, they position themselves as a judge over the church. Well, I, they're this, or they're that, or they're too this, or they're too that. And then we leave the church, and we go out, and we look at them. Well, they're there because of that, and they're there because of that, and they should have done that. And everybody just lives as a judge constantly. And he's saying, you know what? If you are actually a follower of Christ, you get to have one opinion about people. That's it. That Jesus Christ loved them enough to die for them while they were yet sinners, shed His blood on a cross for them while they were yet sinners, and that they are of unsurpassable worth and value. And no matter what they've done or what they've failed to do, you love them the way that Christ loved them and gave His life for them. That is the one opinion that we are allowed to have about people. Now, I expect you to judge me. I expect you to judge our church. I expect you to do that because that's what flawed human beings do. But if we as the church could shift that mindset and do what Jesus said and say, you know what, why don't you take the daggone plank that is in your own eye out first before you look to take a speck in another brother's eye out. People are broken and they need your love and they need your compassion. And this is the missional mindset that we must have. Amen. We're allowed one opinion about people, and we want to come into agreement with it. And as we go out, here's something that ties into that. In Luke 10, 8, Jesus said, Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. Now you think, well, that don't mean anything. Donald told you last time, I went to, uh, when I went to Uganda, we went to one place, and they had, it was goat innards in a big pot. And I ate it, and some of it was really chewy, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't disintegrate, so I just swallowed it whole. Amen. And then, and, then, and then I went to the next place, and I was like, boys, I ate way too much. It's 99 degrees. We've been riding. <laughs> We've been, it was rough, wasn't it, Brian? And we pull up under this other tent, and they're like, Donald's like, you're going to preach at this one, Clay. I'm like, all right, I'm ready. Let's do it. And, and I pull in there, and they're like, well, before you preach, we want to feed you. I've had too much. They said, you don't understand. If you don't eat, they won't listen. I was like, yeah, I'm going to throw up on these people. <laughs> and it wasn't because the food was bad. It was because, uh, but, but, but if you don't eat, they won't listen. If you don't eat, they won't listen. Consider that for a moment. If you don't eat, they won't listen. So I said, okay, I'll eat a little bit. They said, no, no, no. You're the honored guest. You're bringing the word of God. They bring me a whole chicken. <laughs> and when I'm talking about whole chicken, I'm talking about whole chicken. On the inside of this chicken, it, still, it had eggs that had been full, un, unformed. I ate those suckers. <laughs> Let me tell you the best part of the chicken that we ain't eating, they don't offer at KFC, is the neck fat that comes off the spinal cord. That's good eating, y'all. 
Some, we, need, we need to bring that back. That's one thing we're missing here. You talk about KFC? I told them women, I said, this chicken's better than KFC. They said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, man, it was good. But whatever, whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. <laughs> That's good preaching. <laughs> Here's the thing. And here's one that I struggle with because I'm deeply introverted. But true hospitality, true hospitality is a form of spiritual warfare. You understand what I'm saying? Inviting people into your life, inviting people into your home, going to other other people's home and showing them respect and spending time with them. True hospitality is a form of spiritual warfare. People have their guard up. If you're like me, sometimes I live in a fallen mindset and I just expect that people don't like me. Anybody else live like that? I'm just like, I'm going to go in here, they'll hate me. (laughs) And it's probably not true, but we live with these mindsets. That's why hospitality is a form of spiritual warfare because you start to pull people's guards down. And you let them know, I respect you. I care for you. I love you. I have a heart for you. And when they sense that in you, it opens their heart up. And more, some people are more gifted at that than others. Amen. I'm not so gifted in that area, but I'm working on it. Somebody told me one time it goes to church here. He said, yeah, first time I met you, I thought you was just stuck up. I'm like, no, dude, I'm, I'm just introverted. <laughs> but you eat whatever is set before you. And here's why that's important. Because the Orthodox Jews, they had dietary restrictions. And so basically what Jesus is saying, like they would have went into a home, perhaps maybe they offered them a, a ham sandwich. They could have said, we don't eat that. We don't eat that stuff. We don't touch that stuff. Now, again, I'm not saying you go into a I went, I went, We went to a place here in Manchester one time, and I went in, and they were shooting heroin. Now, I didn't say, hey, you know, let me relate to you. Give me, give me the needle. Like, I didn't, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that we indulge in every sinful practice, but I am saying that there are times when you need to relax on your religious convictions in order to build a relationship with somebody. So what they cuss. So what they drink. You don't have to drink. You don't have to cuss. You can still build a relationship with that person and relax on your religious convictions to allow them to know that you love them and you care for them and you want to lead them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Sometimes they just need to know you're a normal person. And you can live there with them without condoning their sinful behavior for a moment. Now, some of you, I get, you can't be around it and you're in your early stages and phases of Christianity and you need to separate and come out from that. I get that. Understand what season of life you're in. For some of you, it's time to separate and make a distinction between that crowd. For some of you, it's time to get healed and filled with the Spirit and go back into that crowd to win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you got to discern what season of life you're in. Is it, there was a time for me I needed to get out of it. And as soon as I got out of it, the Lord filled me with the Spirit. He said, now, son, it's time for you to go back into it and to begin to try to lead some out. And the Lord will open people's hearts to that reality. But love is the highest priority over everything because love will open the door and they will invite you in. And Jesus will start to transform their lives. Now, the dietary laws, I mean, they could be atheists. They could be criminals. They could be in jail. They could be gay, straight, confused. They could be Democrat. Amen. (laughs) I know how y'all are. They could be all those things. But you have to relax on some of your political and religious convictions just enough to allow a relationship to be built that could lead them, or you'll never bridge that gap. You're so strong and hard on the way you stand that, that, that you never allow a door to be open between you and another person. Yeah. you got to allow a door to be opened if you really want to win them. you got to be missionally wise. Number four, mission happens in moments. Mission happens in moments. If you read the Gospels, and you're reading through the Gospels, some of it is recording of the teachings of, of Jesus And others are encounters that Jesus has. But if you read the Gospels, what you notice, now sometimes Jesus does minister to big crowds of people, doesn't he? But the majority of instances that you see about Jesus is is when he is ministering to individuals. And oftentimes, get this, I know y'all are going to hate this because you love Facebook so much. But he would actually heal people and tell them, don't go tell nobody. I mean, it's like every time we do something missional, we feel the need to let the world know we did something missional. That's not a missional mindset. That's a self-glorification mindset. If you want to do something missional, do it before you and the Lord and that person and let it be done. 
and let the Lord do His work in their lives. It, we, we live, the, the, the social media age has, has polluted the church and it being a missional mindset. It's like we can't do anything without, look at me. And what he's saying is, no, 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 you got to come to a place where on a daily basis you understand that it's about individuals and you realize that it's about individuals. Jesus would minister to one man that was crippled. He ministered to one woman who, who touched the hem of his garment. There was one woman that was brought, uh, who had committed adultery to stone and he ministered to that one person. Over and over again, it was divine moments where the Lord ministered to individuals. And what I'm saying is, missions happen in a moment. Like it's just, I, I was telling them on Wednesday just the other day, I, I woke up and I, I've been studying about missional mindset here and trying to, trying to really work on myself as far as this goes. This is something I'm trying to really allow God to do in my heart personally. And I went to a place and picked something up. And when I looked at this woman, I just had a little internal nudge. And here I am praying for divine moments. And I had a little internal nudge, nothing serious, just a little internal. And you know what? I just sort of bypassed it, took what I had, and I left. And as I'm driving down the road, the Lord sort of spoke to me and said, Claire, are you living missionally or what? I said, Lord, you know I am. I prayed about it this morning, driving. He said, well, how come you passed up that nudge? I said, you're right. You're right, I passed up that nudge. So I tried to shake it off, couldn't. I didn't know who the lady was for sure, so I called somebody to figure out who it was. And, uh, and I called the office back, and I, and, I, and I talked to the lady, and it turns out she said, I, I just lost my mom. And so I was able to pray for her because of that by following the nudge. My point is, is that missions happen in a moment throughout your day when you're not paying attention. If you'll say, Lord, I'm on mission this morning, and I want your Holy Spirit to give me divine moments, and I want to follow you in the Spirit. And if you give me a nudge to bless somebody, to pray for somebody, or to share the gospel with somebody, give my testimony to somebody, Lord, I'm open for that because just one person, one moment could bring absolute transformation to a human life. Amen? Here's my last, my last point. Number five, mission brings meaning. The greatest fulfillment you will find is when you're accomplishing the mission that God has for you. And, and, and if I'm being honest, I think that America is very spoiled. And I think the American church is very spoiled. I think I'm very spoiled. I think when I, when I look at other people who are really struggling in our world who haven't heard the gospel and the worries and the struggles that I, that I have, sometimes when I bring that before the presence of the Lord, I'm thinking, golly, are we a selfish bunch or what? Like, I am self-centered and selfish, and we have a struggle with how self-focused we get in a lot of these areas in our lives. And, and even when we come to church, what we want is often, you know, Donald preached such a good message last week, but we kind of repel those messages, don't we? It's like, ah, you know, Donald, I wanted you to come and tell me how to be a better person, me how to be a better parent, how God's going to bless me, and how God's going to bring me increase and open the doors for me. I wanted something like that that could hype me up, make me feel better about this week. I didn't need you to challenge my comfort zone and tell me to go do things that I'd rather not do. I want God to affirm me and make me feel good about being complacent and just be blessed and happy. That's what we want in America. And can I tell you that most pulpits preach it all day long. And they got plenty of tithers, you know what I'm saying? Like they're doing it for a purpose. And, and here's the thing. That's not where God is ultimately moving us. God wants you blessed. God wants you to experience his love. But the greatest fulfillment you're going to find and the meaning that you're going to find in life is not by becoming more and more self-centered. It's going to be by dying to self and learning how to minister to others. That is where fulfillment and meaning and purpose and satisfaction is going to come into your life. But because of the flesh, we always get deceived into believing that somehow, some way, if I go the route of comfort, if I go the route of ease, if I go the route of complaint, Complacency, I will feel better and I'll be safe. And God is saying, no, that's not a safe place. That is a path to destruction. The safe place is following me into the dark places and letting me back you up with my power and do my will on earth as it is in heaven. So missions is something that he wants to do, but it brings meaning into our life. In Luke 10, 17, see, many deal with sadness, many deal with depression, and many deal with lack of fulfillment. But it says that when the 70 returned from doing the mission, what did they return with? It says they returned with joy. Saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. I remember when I was a Christian, I used to think that alcohol, drugs, and sex would bring me joy. No matter how much I tried, I got more and more depressed chasing that rabbit. 
And then when God finally set me free and I was filled with the Holy Spirit, I thought to myself, how come they didn't tell me it was so good? I woke two or three up right then, praise God. (laughs) Because all of a sudden, I had a joy that beat sex, drugs, and alcohol and partying. There was something deep within that I couldn't put my finger on. But then, but then guess what? I got involved in God's mission. I started sharing the gospel with my friends. I started seeing some of them get saved. I, I started preaching the gospel every opportunity that I had. I started ministering to people. When I went to the gym, I started praying for the sick. Every now and then I'd see somebody heal. And God was moving and joy was going off in my heart. And I find that I get a little bit depressed, a little bit anxious. What? When I get self-centered. And start focusing on my own needs all the time. All the time. Mission is what brings meaning. And if you pray for these divine moments, God will give you a mission and you will find meaning. What I'm saying is you need to get to a place where you say, God, I need divine moments. Just move me by your spirit. I don't know if it's praying for the sick. I don't know if it's sharing my testimony with somebody. I don't know if you want me to call a family member on the phone and say, let me pray for you, or this is what the Lord's sharing with me, or or whatever it is. But God wants you to reach somebody, and I guarantee you this, every single person in this room can lead somebody to the Lord Jesus Christ this year if you will allow him to do so. Ain't no doubt about it. It's not even a question. And so... After Jesus ministered to the woman at the well, I was reading this this week and I found it very interesting, but after he ministered to the woman at the well, this is after he poured out to this woman, it says in verse 31 of John chapter 4, In the meantime his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's That's what brings you spiritual nourishment is to do the will of God, to complete his work. Jesus has said, if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, everything you have need of is going to be added to you. He says, but if you want to reap a reward, go out into the harvest field that is already ripe. Reap that harvest and you will be given the wages of joy. You will be given the wages of peace. You will be given the wages of supernatural empowerment by the Spirit. God will transform your life if you will go into the harvest field. And Jesus said, my food is not just a cheeseburger. My food is to accomplish the will of Him who sent me. And that's what gives me meaning and satisfaction and purpose and fulfillment. And if you are not fulfilled and you don't find satisfaction and purpose and meaning, maybe it's because somehow you've been disconnected from the mission. Maybe it's because somehow you've forgotten that the Lord Jesus wants you to reach somebody. Luke 10, 18, and 20. I'm going to finish here. They had returned with joy. They said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, because they are, but rather rejoice because your names are are written in heaven. Amen. Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. That is the greatest thing that we can see. There is rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that comes to repentance rather than 99 righteous being in a room. I I know the Lord looks down on us, man, on Sunday, and He's like, man, I'm so glad that all these people have given their life to me and they follow me and they come to church and they worship and they love me. I know that pleases the Lord. But do you realize that there is rejoicing in heaven when one of us is able to make connection with one who is lost and gone astray and that one comes to a place of repentance? There's a party that breaks out in heaven. Joy is released. Amen? So we want to ask God to give us that missional mindset, to think like He thinks, to see people the way that He sees people. And here's the thing. He may just put one person on your heart, but if every single one of us ask for one divine moment with one person, maybe we make one phone call, maybe we go have a, a conversation with one person, maybe we share our testimony one time with one person, there is somebody out there that you can have a missional mindset and you can reach for the glory of Jesus Christ's name. And it may just be the point of transformation in their life. 
It may just be the one thing that brings them in a different direction. Amen? Amen. So I want us to bow our heads here this morning. And here's the thing. You deal with the Lord where you're at, but if, you, if, you're not, if you're not right with the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no better time than the present to turn your life fully over to Him, wholeheartedly, to say, Lord Jesus, I need salvation. You know, in the American church, we believe Romans 10, it says if we believe in our heart that He rose from the dead and confess Him, that He is Lord, we shall be saved. But do you know, in our generation, to confess Jesus as Lord and say a prayer is one thing. But to the Romans of that generation, to confess Jesus meant that you renounced the emperor and you were subject to being put to death for treason. It was asking a bit more of them. To confess Jesus meant that you were willing to lay down your life. And so, Lord, we just pray this morning that you would help us by your Spirit to lay down our lives. We believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead after dying for our sins on the third day. And so we confess our sins. We repent of our sins. We turn from them, Lord God. And we ask today that you would save our souls. And for those, Lord God, that, that have not been saved, I pray that this moment that prayer would become real for them. And that, Holy Spirit, you would visit them and you'd give them a new heart and a new mind. Is there anybody in this room that's praying that prayer and say, that's me, I need this this morning? Anybody in this room at all? Just between me and you and the Lord. Anybody at all? I see a hand back there. Bless you. I'm going to pray for you. You just pray that, pray that right now to the Lord. Just call upon His name. Jesus, we pray to you. We ask you to do your work in every heart this morning. For this lady that's raised her hand, God, I pray that your, your spirit would come upon her, God, and you would do a work in her heart. God, convict her of sin and draw her to you, Lord Jesus. But God, create that faith in her heart, Lord Jesus, that allows her, God, to receive the gift of salvation that you bring right now in this moment, Lord Jesus. I pray you pour your love out on that one right there, God, in Jesus' mighty name. And give her your peace, Lord. I pray for the rest of us, God, that you would fill us with your spirit, God, so that we would be about your mission and about your work in this earth and what you've called us to do, God. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to stand to your feet with me. They're going to worship. And as always, what I'm going to do is I'm going to encourage you to respond to the Lord. However he's dealing with your heart this morning, take some time here to respond in prayer. You can pray at your seat. You can lift your hands in worship. If you need prayer for anything whatsoever, we can pray for you up here around this altar. If there's somebody you'd like to intercede for, we'll give you a prayer cloth if you want. But, but take a moment here to worship and respond to the Lord this morning.